The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 13, with Mike McDonald. Welcome to the Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast, and today I'm excited to bring on Mike McDonald, better known as Coach Mike Mack. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Um, we'll get right into it. Mike, why don't you uh, just go ahead and introduce yourself and just kind of tell us how you got into working with golfers. Sure. So yeah, guys, what's going on? My name is Mike McDonald. I live down here in Charleston, South Carolina. I moved down here three years ago with my wife from Connecticut and originally got into the space. I was a college athlete. I played baseball, actually. Um, so after college, I knew I wanted to stay involved in kind of exercise and working out, working with people. I didn't want to sit behind a desk all day. Ended up moving back home up in New York, got a job working at a gym in Connecticut and was a personal trainer, just kind of worked my way up through the ranks, started doing some certification. And that's when I first found out about TPI. Um, so went and got my Titleist Performance Institute certification. And at the time I was working with a lot of just kind of regular country club golfers, guys that like to play. They would take me out to play and just want to learn how to move a little bit better and ultimately just feel better. So when I started kind of implementing some more of that golf specific mobility and training, they started to really see some nice results. And I found a really cool niche about something I was very passionate about. So um, that kind of blossomed a little bit, ended up leaving the gym and starting my own uh, in-person training business in Connecticut and did that for a couple of years. And then my wife and I had gotten tired of the cold weather and all the craziness up north. So we said, let's go ahead and decide to move. So we moved down here to Charleston uh, three years ago, like I said, in July, three years. So once we moved down here, obviously we had to set up a whole new clientele base as far as in-person training. So we set up our garage into a fully functional gym. So I train my local players there, but a majority of what I do is I run an online golf fitness business. So I do virtual training and online programming um, far before the whole COVID situation, but obviously that's kind of ramped up recently as well. But it's something where I got into that space a couple of years ago and have slowly started to build my platform and reach to work with golfers all over the country. And I provide assessments and programming for them. And that's a wide range of people. So I work with kind of your regular everyday golfer. I have junior players, college players, and then several professional level players and all different tours. So it's something that has certainly become the thing that I focus on. Uh, it's all my efforts go into golf fitness. And over the years, I've just tried to continue to build my education and learn the best ways that I can train my golfers and surround myself with people like that. So that's, uh, that's the story. Love it, man. That's a great story. I replaced you in the North. I was in the South and now. Yeah, exactly. You flipped it. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm a little worried for what upcoming winter will be like, but we'll see how it goes. <sighs> it's tough. It's tough. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you go a little bit into what's your philosophy in terms of working with golfers and if that changes at all from kind of your younger players up to more uh, of your adult professional players or just everyday amateurs as well? Yeah, sure. So I think I, mean, I think the philosophy 
relatively stays the same um, in terms of kind of how the body is supposed to move. And that's how I base my training. Um, so I'm a big believer in kind of training movements, not muscle groups. And that's something that I think a lot of just kind of recreational people don't really do or understand. They just kind of go in and, and break down the body. Hey, I'm going to go do like, you know, chest today and, and back and buys on another day. And while that's fine for certain goals, it's not necessarily the best for performance and kind of getting your body to function as one integrated unit. So one of my philosophies is really just to train the body the way that it was designed to apply mobility to certain joints that are needed and then stability into other joints that are needed. And that's kind of the main function in terms of movements. We do a lot of kind of hinges, squats, lunges, pushing and pulling up the upper body and then just basically break off a lot of variations of those things. So we keep the, keep the foundation relatively straightforward um, and simplified, but then we get um, more context specific based upon who the person is when they walk through the door. So my junior players might need a little bit more stability and coordination and understanding how to transfer their speed into the golf course. Um, whereas maybe more of my older kind of recreational guy just needs to work on his hip mobility or his thoracic spine mobility. Um, and then you kind of fast forward to my pro level guys, uh, we're, flu we're fluctuating based upon their season and how much they're playing. We're spending a lot of time on recovery, uh, pre-round prep. So the emphasis certainly changes, but the structure and the philosophy of training the body, kind of how it was designed, focusing on mobility to build a really strong foundation of movement and then layering that with strength and stability and power and speed. I think that's kind of the, the crux of what I do. Excellent. Um, I would say that I pretty much follow or fall into that same kind of realm, at least for, in terms of like movement patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to, uh, mobility, I like to think of you as like the hip guy that I like to go after if I need to find some sort of drill or exercise when it comes to hip mobility. Um, I know that you, cause I've been following you for a while. You've been, you worked for a really long time on internal rotation of your hips cause it wasn't mm -hmm. the greatest. Mm -hmm. Um, and now you're working on external rotation. Um, was, I'm just kind of curious, was external rotation pretty good beforehand or were both internal and external rotation kind of just limited on you? Personally, I couldn't move at all. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it's something that kind of a little bit of context. So back in college, I hurt myself pretty bad. I had a pretty bad back injury, uh, playing baseball. And a lot of it was because we lifted improperly. Uh, we did a lot of stuff where we just lifted as much weight as we possibly could. There wasn't really a very good emphasis on form or for that matter, any type of prep work or mobility. We just kind of got in, got after it and got out of there. And as a bunch of, you know, college bound athletes, you're just trying to lift as much as you can. You're not really thinking about that at the time. So, you know, I was 21 and should have been in the best shape of my life as a senior. And I was broken down, literally <laughs> my back was broke. So, um, I really wanted to use the first couple of years of training to kind of be selfish and figure out how the best ways I could heal myself. And that slowly started to heal, but I, I couldn't move at all. I mean, if I, if I look back on some of the stuff that, that I can do now and said, Hey, as a, as a 23 year old, could you do this? I mean, I would have broken it in half. So I needed to work on everything. Um, I had a decent amount of strength. I was able to kind of rotate and move well from baseball, but I didn't understand how any of it came into place in terms of the golf swing and, and what to focus on. So when I first started really looking at myself, I mean, my hips needed work in all rotational capacity. Um, hip extension was limited because I used to compensate through my lower back and I was a bit of a mess. So um, I attacked certain things on myself and worked on them for a really long time. And little by little, my, my internal rotation got 
better, which kind of helped facilitate my golf swing personally a little bit. But no, my external rotation has always needed work. I've always been a little tight on that. Um, and I think it's something where, I mean, all of us can work on something for sure. And I think the hard part is we don't want to work on what you're not good at. All right. Nobody does. So you kind of have to give yourself a little bit of that push. So I've been doing a lot of the stuff personally in my own workouts for a long time. And that's why I'm, first of all, that's why I'm so passionate about the mobility component, especially for the hips, because I've gone through being in a ton of pain and, and back pain and understanding that you can do other things to make you in a better position to feel better and to perform better. So it's a huge emphasis on my training and I do a lot of it myself. So the drills that I'm coming up with and the drills and stuff that I'm practicing and programming for my clients, I mean, I'm in the gym doing them myself too. Uh, for, for anyone who's listening, hip internal rotation, limited internal rotation is one of the biggest predictors of low back pain in a golfer or the golf swing. Um, so I would say that's definitely one of the biggest things to work on where probably in both you and my experience seeing, uh, older adults, that's probably where a majority of the time we're, we're limited into, um, more often than not. Um, when you start working with someone, uh, obviously depends on where, where they're starting at in terms of limited mobility, but let's just say they're limited with hip internal rotation. What, how often are you having them work, um, on this? Is it an everyday thing? Is it like an every other day thing? Um, and how many kind of like drills are you giving them to do? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, like you said, it's certainly dependent on who walks in the door, but after going through, so everyone that I work with, whether it's in person or virtual, we go through an assessment process. So the TPI screen we use, we use, um, FMS, a functional movement screen that's more of a fitness background. So we're breaking out to see what movement capacity they have. And if we're going to, let's go with internal rotation. If there's a severe restriction there, which a lot of times there is, like you had just mentioned, and a huge predictor of lower back pain, um, we're going to spend a lot of time on that. So I give my clients a daily movement practice as a part of their programs. Um, usually it's kind of like three to six drills where they can do it literally every single day. And it's just a way to kind of hydrate the, the joint, get some mobility, get some blood flow through the area in their weaknesses. So for hip internal rotation, there's several different ways that you can attack it, right? So different positions. There's a few that I really like um, to give my clients. So I provide them with videos and say, hey, here you go. Go do this on your own. Um, it's something where, of course, we're not going to change something right away. But getting your body in a better position and start to work through full ranges of motion you start to notice some, you know, some improvements and some freedom, especially in that hip. And then the best you get a couple of those texts, you're like, oh, wow, you know, I, I was clearing through the wall better today, or I played 18 holes and didn't have pain afterwards. Like that's when, you know, things are starting to feel good. So yeah, I certainly want my people moving pretty much every single day. Um, one or two days throughout the course of the week, they have more kind of recovery based things that are more low key. It's maybe some static stretching there, but for the most part, we're really diving into active mobility, uh, getting them moving, working the joint through a full range of motion because so many people come in with restrictions, not only in the hips, but the T-spine, the shoulders, the foot and ankle, right? As you know, so, um, there's a lot that we have to work on. I think finding a bit of a priority or a hierarchy based upon what their limitations are is key. And I think that's also a huge component where the importance of customized training is, is so prevalent because you can sit there and take someone through a movement screen and specifically point out what their restrictions are and then be able to pinpoint what they need to do to fix them as opposed to just kind of going to a gym and, and bouncing from machine to machine or just pulling a random program that you find online. 
may or may not be beneficial to you and what you need to work on, especially if we're talking about golf. Right. I always encourage people to get assessed. Obviously we're both biased, but, um, I always think it's important to get assessed, to get those customized things that you were just talking about, because I see, I'm sure you see two drills all the time, just like links online in terms of, you know, from golf magazine or golf digest on, you know, do this thing to improve X, Y, Z. And I know it's all well intentioned, but it may not be exactly what's for you. Um, as an individual. Right. So that's where it comes in in getting assessed and finding exactly what's going to be best for you. Even if you do have limited hip mobility, you may not be able to tolerate this drill because maybe it's too advanced or maybe you're more advanced than that drill and you need to do something uh, a lot more uh, intense than that. Um, I think one thing that I'm seeing a lot of just in my own kind of social media world is a lot of like end range strengthening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it seems pretty, um, intense, honestly. Um, and I think part of that is, I don't know how much you've studied like, uh, functional range conditioning or FRC or how much you incorporate some of that into your mobility routines. Um, but how, how much are you giving some of those like end range drills, um, to people just because they are pretty intense? Obviously I'm assuming they're not going to be on anyone's recovery day. That's for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've gone through the FRC program before, so I am, I'm a big proponent of it. I do think it, it um, is very, very good and sound and functional in terms of how the body moves. Um, there are certain things where absolutely to get into some of those positionings, you need to generate a lot of tension and be able to handle a lot of um, difficult positions, we'll say. So I think, I think those portions can be reserved for down the road for a lot of people. But just the simple baseline components of, of working a joint through a full active range of motion, I think, is extremely important. And I think that's also a discrepancy where people hear, you know, they hear the term flexibility and mobility and kind of think they're the same thing, but they're really not. Right. And we're talking flexibility. We're talking just can we stretch a muscle? Right. And that's a very passive way to do something where you can lay on a table and someone can stretch your hamstring and you're like, oh, that's a great stretch. OK. But when we talk about mobility, that's where we're involving the joint itself and whether or not you have active control over that range of motion. So for the same example, laying on the table, can you raise your leg and hold it up there on your own as high as when someone can stretch you? And the chances are probably not, right? So you're lacking some active range of motion um, in your hips and your posterior chain to be able to get to the to that motion. So not to, not to geek out too hard, but I think it is important to understand that when we're talking about mobility, there's a difference between, it's not just laying on the ground and stretching. Um, mobility can, can involve movement and does involve movement. And the beauty about it is when you start to mobilize your joints properly, it has a carryover into function and into strength as well. So I think that's a very important component. something I spend a lot of time talking to my people about in the very beginning, because like you said, there's so much information out there. You can see certain things and be like, well, that's, you know, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that, but you have to pick and choose. And I think FRC is something that is certainly one of my principles that I like to use for my stuff um, as well as, as well as several others. Uh, you just kind of alluded a little bit to uh, kind of where I wanted to go, but you had mentioned that um, improving mobility can help to improve you know, function and strength as at least in some of the research I've done or I've seen is that uh, eccentric strengthening or just strengthening in general through full range of motion can be more beneficial than say static stretching. Um, 
And then also it's super beneficial to work into those ranges after you're done mobilizing. I'm assuming that's something that you do with your uh, clients. Yeah, I like to use the analogy of kind of click save. Um, so once you've accessed a range of motion, that's great. But if you don't do things to kind of lock it in and, and click save, you're not going to really have that moving forward. So, you know, you can get with someone, a, a Cairo, a PT, a manual therapist, they can manipulate you and you could feel you could feel great. Right. But that range of motion is not going to stay there unless you work through the pattern with certain drills after. So, um, yes, I think you have to layer that for sure. And back to what you were saying in the beginning, like mobility, there is a direct correlation to function. So once you get your hips working better, um, you're going to squat better. Um, your running mechanics are going to be better. Uh, you're going to be able to rotate through the golf ball better. So that's why these things are so important because of the layers that they provide from alternative ways to progress and to feel better. When um, you start giving people uh, strength drills to work into that mobility that they just gained, are you going fairly light, moderate weight, pretty heavy um, for a lot of reps, little reps? What's kind of your uh, scheme for that? Yeah, rep, rep schemes, volume certainly changes. Um, but again, it goes back to the goals, what we're looking to do. I think in certain times, there's nothing wrong with with going heavy and kind of getting more of a strength program going. I'm not going to give someone that if they have their club championship the next day or if they're going to you know hit the road to be traveling. But are there times for that? Absolutely. I think more often you're probably looking around you know, working through two or three sets of something somewhere in between that kind of eight to 12 rep range for the most part, kind of where you'll see it. Does that mean that certain times I'm not doing a good old fashioned five by five strength? No, absolutely. Um, other times, you know, maybe we're working through two or three reps just to groove the pattern a little bit after we've gotten through some of those ranges. So certainly depends. Um, but like I said, one of my principles is I like to train the body full body practically every time I'm working out with someone. So we're going to break down, we're going to do lower body, we're going to do push pull, we're going to do core strength, we're going to do, you know, crawling patterns and carry patterns, and we're going to work all that together. So I never want to really blast one part of your body too, too hard, because sitting there so sore that you can't walk up the stairs the next day is not really beneficial to anybody, right? I think any any trainer or any person for that matter can kind of kick someone's ass, right? You can You can write a program to destroy me, what does that really mean? Right. What, you know, I like to say to my clients, my job is to get you in the best place that when you step up to the first tee, you're in the best position to succeed. So that's what my training should reflect. And that's what it should do. Whether you're trying to go out and have fun and out drive your buddies, or you're trying to make a lot of money because this is your career. Right. I mean, um, I think who's the Jason glass says it a lot is he always tries to work off of the minimal effective dose basically. Mm -hmm. So just trying to do the least amount that's effective to help you improve in whatever way possible. Cause like you said, there's no point in having anyone be super sore or uh, any of those things basically, cause it doesn't help anyone. Right. And I think that's, you know, unfortunately a misconception of a lot of people is they, you know, they gotta go get a hard workout and be dripping in sweat and be super sore the next day. And it's like, well, well, why, you know, why? Do, oh, I, I don't know. Cause I work, cause I worked hard. It's like, well, yeah, no, that's not really the case. So, um, yeah, I think Mike Boyle was the first one that I heard that term from long time ago. And I think it's something that just like makes a lot of sense, right? If you can get the same output with lesser stress to the body, like why wouldn't you do that? So, right. Yeah. I hear it all the time when I'm working, uh, 
with patients and specifically physical therapy and we're doing stuff and they're like, well, no pain, no gain. Right. It's like, well, not, not really, not, quite. Yeah. <laughs> not, not necessarily. Um, but yeah, I, one thing you had also mentioned, even when you're working on yourself and trying to improve your own mobility, you said that it took you some time. Um, and I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions, especially in today's world that, you know, we're looking for something instantaneously. I mean, we can order a pizza and it can be at our house in 20 minutes right. uh, sure. with a click of a button. Um, how often, well, one, I mean, you can say how long it took you to improve your hip mobility. Um, but how often, or what's your average? Again, I know it, it varies, but what's your average for the people that you're working with to see, you know, what you would consider significant improvement? Oh boy. Um, I would say, I mean, I'd say for me, honestly, I probably went at it for like a good, like year, year and a half where I was like, okay, I, I'm kind of where I wanted to be. Um, I feel good about my movement. Um, had, had I been working on it years before? Yes, but not really consistently enough and not really with enough intention to really make progress. So I felt a little bit better, but then it would kind of ebb and flow. Um, I, I like to tell my clients, like, listen, guys, like I said before, am I going to get you feeling better quickly? Yes. But in terms of actually having things that are going to stick where you're like noticeably making improvements, I mean, we're talking months, right? We're, we're talking months. And I think that's where you have to be honest, but you also have to get the buy-in from people to understand that like, yes, I might, in a session, I might be able to take your active straight leg raise from, you know, 45 to 60 degrees. Like, sure, I can do that. Um but it's not going to stay there like we talked about before. So it's something where you have to continue to build it. Consistency is really key, not only just for workouts and health in general, but especially when we're talking about mobility, you know, you can't do a mobility routine once a week and be like, Oh yeah. Hey, you know, where are my results? That's, that's not really how it's going to work. So you got to put the time in, um, depending on what those issues are, if we're talking kind of pain stuff, right, that's more your realm, or you're going to kind of attack that a little bit more. Um, but when people come to me, we're, we're looking just to get them to feel better, first of all, and move better. So it's going to take some time. Um, again, I want to say, like, you're not going to train for two months and not see any improvements. Like, no, you're going to feel better, and you're going to move a little bit better. But to have more of those things that kind of stick, it's a longer period of time. And it's something where, again, personally, I've been training for a while. And, you know, I'm down in my 90, 90 hip stretch every single day. So, you know, like when I'm doing programs for clients every once in a while, they'll be like, Oh, you know, this has been in my program for 12 weeks. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be in there for 12 years, <laughs> you know, like, because you're going to keep doing it and certain patterns we're going to keep doing. So, um, of course we're trying to figure out the best ways to, to train them moving forward. But at the same time, there are just going to be certain things where like, this is what you need to do in order to feel better and to move better. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things that I try to emphasize, especially when it comes to kind of mobility or something along those lines with my clients is saying, hey, this is going to take a while and you have to work on it every single day. And like you said, you're going to see some improvement in the next, you know, couple of months, but you're going to have to continue to work on it consistently day in and day out. And a lot of people are kind of like, you can see like the upsetness on their face, but they get it for the most part, as long as you, like you said, can create that buy-in. Um, but it, it just takes a long time. And well, I mean, it's like, it's like the same thing. If someone came to us and said, Hey, I, you know, I want to just get jacked, right. I just want to look friggin' huge. Like, 
okay, would you expect to look like that in a month? It's like, no, you, it's going to take you time to build your body and to adapt to that stimulus. Same thing with weight loss, right? Yeah. Can you lose 10 pounds in a month? Sure. But you know, can you lose a half a pound to a pound a week for a really extended period of time to make it more of a lifestyle habit change? Yes. That's what takes time. So, I mean, there are, there are commonalities throughout not just oh, yeah. exercise space, but all over. Oh, big time. I mean, the biggest, I mean, we can just equate this to a golf swing, right? When you try to do something different in your golf swing that you want to do, it doesn't happen right away and you need to work on it consistently. And unfortunately, you know, people either just don't have the time or the, or they don't have the desire to really make that change. I think it's the big thing. That's a, that's a great way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just want to be a little respectful of your time. But I do have a couple of fun questions at the end, uh, which is yeah, good. you're good. Sure. Um, what is the best course you've ever played, Mike? Oh, we're getting into the good stuff right away. Yeah. Oh man, best course I've ever played. So I'll be, I'll give you two answers. Uh, one being to my local bias here. So the Ocean Course at Key Island is obviously a very famous course and is absolutely unreal. Um, super super golf course tough as hell especially when the wind blows so i've played it twice and just unreal experience so highly recommend that's been definitely up there and then the other one probably i played was down in uh cabo down in mexico it was called cabo del sol and it's on the world top 100 but not a lot of people know about it and it's just stunningly beautiful obviously out there everything's gorgeous but the last couple of holes uh it's a nicholas design and he calls it the pebble beach of mexico and the last three holes are like literally like the oceans right there. So you just have this epic backdrop. Uh, you're teeing off. I think it's on 17, the part three, where like if you stumble off the back of the tee box, you know, you're in the ocean. So um, pretty spectacular moment. So that would be my, my other one. Sounds sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Second question is, uh, it's a risky approach shot to the green. Are you going for it or laying up? Oh man, see, I'm I'm going for it. I'm going for it. It might not turn out very well for me, but I'll go for it. Um, dude, my issue is getting off the damn tee. That's my problem. If I'm if I'm in play off the tee, I could play some good golf. Um, a couple of the sideways shots I need to work out, but no, I'm I'm giving it a crack at it. There you go. Awesome. I'm I would say I'm right there with you. Although my consistency is just some days it's good off the tee, and then around the green is garbage, and it's just vice versa. I can't. It's terrible. Well, yeah, putting putting the whole game together is a completely different story. But yeah, no, I think my uh, my biggest issue is like, oh man, if I could just hit like, put it this way, if I didn't hit, if I went around and just didn't hit a ball OB, I'm shooting, you know, low 80s to high 70s if I'm having a great day. But it's those, it's just those damn two or three tee shots where I'm like, boop, and I'm like, all right, well, yeah. there it goes back to back to 87. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, last question. You're going to go out for a round. Who is in your dream foursome? Oh man. Okay. So I've asked, I've been asked this question once before and I actually forgot who I said, but okay. So Tiger Woods clearly, um, oh, man. They could, anybody from any, any walk of life. It doesn't matter who it is. Anyone. All right, all right. Anyone. So gotta be Tiger. Um, I'm a really, really big self-development nerd. Um, so I like to listen to a lot of people in that space, one of which is Ed Milet. I don't know if you know who that is, but mm-hmm. um, I'm a big Ed Milet fan and he plays a lot of golf. So would love to kind of be 
with him for a few uh, hours playing some golf. And then my other guy, again, kind of in the same realm, but also just really a big fan of his in general. I'm a big Will Smith fan. So I'd probably, uh, probably round out my foursome with those guys right there. There we go. Um, any last words of advice or tips for anyone who may be listening just related to golf fitness, performance, self-development, whatever, whatever you want it to be? Yeah, no, I, man, there's so much, I think, listen, there, there's so much information out there. I think the important thing is you have to figure out what's important to you, um, figure out why it's important and be really super specific about what you want and why you want it. So whether that's, Hey, I want to become a pro golfer. Um, you know, Hey, I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to create more happiness in my life or whatever. I think just kind of getting super, super specific, about what your goals are um, has been something that has helped me. And um, like I said, just you have to be consistent with whatever you choose, have a reason behind it. There's there's so much information available and, and people out there to help, whether it's golf fitness in a virtual space or just anything. So get get specific with your goals, get really concrete about the steps that you take to, to get there and just stick with it. Awesome. Mike, um, if anyone wants to get in contact you, in contact with you or work with you, yeah. uh, how can they do that? Sure. So I appreciate you asking. Um, you can find me uh, social media. Instagram is kind of where I do most of my work, just at Coach Mike Mac, just one word, Coach Mike Mac. On Instagram, I put up a ton of content and stuff on there. And then as far as all my coaching programs and information about business, again, just CoachMikeMac.com is my website. That has all my information about how to work with me. Again, kind of can do virtual assessments and programs no matter where you are in the world, no matter what your ability level is. So fill out a little, uh, little questionnaire. We could set up a time to talk. Excellent. I suggest everyone go follow him. He puts out content pretty much every day. If it's not on his feed, it's in his story. And there's always great, great drills going on. And you'll get some snippets of uh, some dogs and his, his cute daughter. Ah, uh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks again for joining us, Mike. You got it, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us again on another week's episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Coach Mike Mack. Mike made some really good points. The one main thing that I want to emphasize is that consistency is key when it comes to anything in life, especially with health. You need to work at it daily, and sometimes you are not going to always win. Sometimes you're going to fail, and that's okay. But as long as you're consistent and make those small improvements day in and day out, you will see changes over time. But once again, thank you so much for joining and taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. And if you are subscribed or even not subscribed, please, I would really appreciate if you could take the time to uh, write a review and rate the show on whichever platform that you listen on. Uh, Again, that just helps other people find the show when they're searching for podcasts to listen to. And the more people that we can reach to help their golf game and just get healthier overall, uh, that is my overall goal with this podcast. So if you could please do that, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, As usual, keep working hard, keep making progress and striving for greatness every single day, because when you feel great, you golf great.